The Fed has a $1.5 trillion problem. Actually, I should say the Treasury, but it could become the Fed's problem, which is now we've raised the debt ceiling and we're going to have a whole lot of bonds that we need to sell. And the question becomes, who is the buyer? Also, in that environment, we're still talking about whether the Fed is going to continue to raise rates or not into this environment. What's happening with inflation? You guys know it's Monday and it's never been more important to understand macro than now, even if you're just a crypto investor. So guys, we're going to talk about it. Myself, Mike McGlone, Dave Weisberger. Let's go. That's dope. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Street. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and tap that like button. I know we're a bit late today, so we're going to dive right into it and go ahead and bring on Mike and Dave. Happy Monday, gentlemen. I guess we missed last week because of Memorial Day, but uh, not much has changed. <laughs> right? I guess we did finally get the debt ceiling deal, Mike, which means that, uh, as you predicted many months ago, we wasted a whole lot of time talking about uh, whether there would be a default and no debt ceiling deal, right? It, it's great clickbait, and I'm sure Dave appreciates that a lot. Just, I mean, what better way to get hits and write about something that's silly? We all know, and even now politicians play the game, but we all know this is not going to happen. It's not going to be a fault, but it's about moving on now. And even that's so why I really, um, I think the good scoop I can provide this morning is we just got off my morning meeting with our key strategists, and everybody is appreciating we can get past this debt ceiling issue. But from our economist, chief economist, Anna, Anna Wong, she came out swinging against that this employment point was weak. And the key point is self-employed workers are plunging. And typically that happens in recessions. Um, you know, the people who do all their little gig work, like you, <laughs> I mean, in a good way, it's good you're safe. Yeah. But um, that, that's this is re plunging. And then our chief equity strategist, Gina Martin Adam, pointed out this extreme concentration risks in stock market, which is clearly obviously pricing for recession. Now she put a bit of a bullish spin on it. And this is where, you dis where we disagree a little. Obviously, I'm still bearish. And she's been right this year. And then our um, equity, our um, interest rate strategist, Iris, says, um, Ira Jersey says, yeah, we're going to get aggressive rate cuts once they start cutting. The key thing I keep watching is um, every time I look on the Bloomberg terminal, I see we still have these bars that show they're going to be hiking in the uh, July or um, or june july uh, meetings and i look at that and like there's really no chance i see of things like an end to this deflationary forces we're seeing in commodities bloomberg commodity index is down almost 30 percent on a one-year basis um we're seeing a little bounce in crude oil today but i don't really see an end to that until you get well past an easing cycle and we're not even started yet so we heard trickling every day now we've seen trickling downward in china which has been my expectation for years but not make doing very well and of course they just pissed off their best customers europe and u.s so that's kind of a problem major disinvestment but in the shorter term like the key thing is about opec plus meeting cuts this week and it's silly how people who are still trying to play that bullish game in crude oil yet it's been in bear market since 2008 and i did say 2008 because that's when it peaked <laughs> and last year made a lower high and people are keep looking for that old scenario by looking at this old supply side that they still matter but less so every day and so we're getting a bounce again in crude oil. And that's what's been happening. We get a bounce on the OPEC cuts and then it goes back down towards the trend. So I see crude oil right now. It's pushing towards 75. It's still going to head towards 50. Natural gas has already done the equivalent. Commodities always go towards their, their cost of productions in the long term, particularly when you've seen kind of 
dicey inflation or economic demand, which is not so great. So they always go towards cost of production. Um, and the key thing I'll end with that's so important we need to point out is cryptos are showing divergent weakness now. This is on a quarter on, on the whole quarter now. Um, Q2, the Bitcoin's down six, seven percent. Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index is down about the same, and the Nasdaq's up about almost 10%. That's a sign of divergent weakness. Now, people keep saying the correlations have broken down. I'm like, yeah, they're breaking down the wrong way. The fastest horse in the race is warning everybody, warning us that there's a problem. Now, I, I, I know I have to say this very carefully on this program because we all have to listen to ourselves and our views. Is, is McGlone saying what we don't want to hear or is McGlone saying what he really thinks and warning us? And this is one thing we always have to be careful. I add it myself as a trader and ex-trader, not like Dave who still runs money in you is I don't, I'm not out to, I'm just out to point facts of what's happening. And I have to sometimes, I know in 2018, a lot of crypto people get very upset with me for pointing out facts and my views, but this is a fact in crypto space. My sense is most people think the worst is over, yet there's a good chance it might not be. Back to you. Dave, do you have any specific thoughts on what he just said? I mean, look, the reality of the situation is that, uh, I mean, you can't change the fact that it, Bitcoin has been a bit weaker. Ethereum has been a bit stronger than Bitcoin, but you know it, it. It is what it is. The fact is, there's no catalysts, and generally, when there are no catalysts, and you see this sort of falling lower volume market, uh, I think it's setting up for a rally. Uh, but I think that it has to rally after the turn. the The fact is, is we're not seeing like liquidations. You can look at liquidation stats; they're tiny. The volumes on exchanges, May volume was worse than December in the post-FTX hangover. I mean, even derivative volumes are down. There's a lot less interest in the market. It's always that. um, What what I I was explaining to someone this weekend, a fact, and and while I don't trade anymore, you know, for my own, because we're running a vendor, so I can't trade, Mike, I want to be clear. I mean, yes, most of my career was as a trader. So everything you say about me, in fact, is right, just not... And running money now, but I want people to understand the way cycles work. In 2006, actually starting in 2004, but basically in 2006, everyone and their brother was pushing as hard as they could to develop options market makers because, I mean, it, not pushing as hard, it was the other way around. Everyone and their brother who had options market making was starting to panic. By 2000, early 2007, Many, many options market makers got flushed out of the world because volatility was on the path from in the, you know, in the end of the internet bubble in the fifties, it was on a one-way collapse from volatility, the VIX going from the fifties down to the teens and and seeing plumbing all-time lows. The longer it stayed towards all-time lows, the more people exited that market, the more market makers were going kaput, laying up people, people were going into more and more strategies that are what I would classify as short vol strategies. Now, short vol strategies for things that selling puts, there's an obvious example, but there are many. Basically, there are technical strategies. My, one of my all-time favorites was something called channelingstocks.com. When I say favorites, it's sarcasm, by the way. People claiming, oh, I can sell the bottom of this range, buy the top of this range, and make money every time, right? And that works great in a low volatility environment. Then 2007 and 2008 happened. Volatility spiked. What it, what occurred? Well, options market makers in 2008 had their single best year in history. Why? Because so many, so much capacity was taken out of the system. Speculators were there. They returned with a vengeance. Because speculation returns almost on a dime, I and mean, it's like the 
it's like an it's like a Formula One car. It can steer so quickly. And the issue is, is getting into businesses uh, takes time. So why do I care about that? Well, look at what we're in now. We've been on a collapsing vol environment in Bitcoin and Ethereum. We've been in a collapsing vol environment in, in, in equities. Mike Fix is 15. Fix is 15 right now, which, by the way, historically precedes a major drop. But go ahead. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So the question is, is volatility is, is prime. Now, what, what does volatility mean? When, when volatility is primed. Well, it means that there's not as nearly as much liquidity on the other side of major moves, except what's actually happening and why do I, what is my thesis? My thesis is that the entire market is positioned for the Fed to ease because they see it. Mike is telling us that the Fed's not easing until we get some cat catastrophe in the stock markets, and he may very well be right. But the absolute reality is, is that people always try to front run it. Everybody tries to fight the last war. People remember that, that, you know, that what happens and people always are expecting V bottoms. They remember March of 2020. They remember all of this stuff. So trying to, this is that, that classic. And I always use the princess pride example, the glass in front of people. I think the reason that the NASDAQ isn't down, it's actually up despite regional banks. I mean, look, the regional banking crisis is so far from over. It's not even funny. I mean, I was giving. I, I I believe that there are massive holes in bank balance sheets that's going to have to get plugged. So I do think there's going to be a, a onrush of liquidity to try to kick the can down the road again, and that's really what I'm trying to say here. So I don't know whether or not we have to get a a major leg down and there's a delinkage, uh, but I do think what you're seeing in Bitcoin is extremely clear. In Bitcoin, you're seeing a long drawn out low volatility settling where. The buyers are patient and they are, you know, there are, there are clear, there are clearly people patient, you know, patient buyers and the speculators are giving up on their positions and trying to move to faster horses, as it were, in the altcoin world, as you pointed out in your recap last week, Scott, uh, and others. So I think that a lot of it is just people giving up and, you know, the old expression, sell in May and go away. I mean, there's truth to that. There are people who are like, you know, look, I'm not speculating anymore. I'm waiting for a catalyst. Meanwhile, buyers are happily lapping it up slowly, and you see that. So what do I think is going to happen? I think I think we are going to have some deep dog doo-doo in the economy. I think that you know we, we have uh, a yield curve that the Fed, I believe, has been managing. And you know today is just an inkling of that. But when I look at the yield curve today, I see the long end yields going up more than the short end. Now, I don't, I've never believed that it was because of a signal of recession necessarily. I mean, it could very well be true. They could be correlated. But I think that the Fed has been trying very hard to engineer low long rates. Why? Because the government has no way of making its debt service payments if the long end of the curve is at the 5.5 level where the six month is. Uh, the 10 years at 3.7, that's a very large difference, Scott. And I, that's the yeah. difference between being able to make this budget or not. So there's I so much to unpack. Yeah, go ahead, finish. I just, there's so oh, much to unpack here. I'm sorry, you asked right. for no, 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 no. I, I wanted that because you just gave me the segue. There's been something I literally like, I ignored my kids for way too many hours this weekend trying to dig into and figure out. And I want to ask you guys about it. And that, that touches on it. Obviously, I kind of alluded to we have this $1.5 trillion problem, right? We, we raised the debt ceiling. Now we can, go, uh, we can go sell more debt, right? We can option off some more bonds. The question I'm struggling with is who's buying? 
Okay. So obviously we've seen for the last 10 years sort of a that uh, foreign governments have become net sellers, but they only own seven trillion of our 31 trillion in debt in general, right? And China, we always talk about, but they're one thirty-first of our debt. China has to buy our debt because the dollar is pegged to the yuan. Right. So go ahead. I, you can just go I, ahead. I, I, I got a problem. I know where you're going because I just I've heard it since 1988, actually, <laughs> since I started trading treasuries. That is safe standard. And, and I knew Dave would laugh when I said it because he's heard the same. So I just want to be careful with these kind of things and saying these kind of things because just like um, the debt ceiling, it's, it's clickbait. It's completely um, insignificant the amount of this or that country that might be buying U.S. or selling U.S. treasuries. U.S. Treasuries are the high world highest yielding debt, the deepest market right now. If you're short the dollar, it's a negative carry trade. It's not that complicated. And I've heard it since I've been in this business. I don't know how many times, oh, I got a short Treasuries because the debt's going up. It, it, first of all, let's start with the trend. It doesn't matter right now. Let's, we're all turning to Japan. It will matter at some point. That's why Bitcoin is long-term on bullish. But right now, the biggest bridge that we have to cross is, as Dave mentioned, we're tilting towards this recession. What typically happens in recession is the, the Fed cuts aggressively. This is not an opinion, that's a fact. Um, and yields drop a lot. And the trend in yields for 40 years has been down with a blip. The tenant trend in crude oil for a long time until 2008 has been down. We had a blip back down. So also, when I, that, that's just the fact, things I've heard forever. Like when people talk about owner's equivalent rent, I remember talking about that in the 80s. And now it's at the highest ever. It's just going back down. But I want to tilt back a little bit. We need to just put a little closure on that. Um, that when you have boomers, anybody in the planet who can get 9% guaranteed in the world's deepest treasury market um, for next two years, okay, 4.5, so two years guaranteed, that's just a major suck of money and liquidity from all risk assets. But one thing I want to tilt back in is what, this is things that you, you really bring back memories of things I remember learning in the Can I ask one pitch. question, Mike? Yeah, I just want to, okay, I had a follow-up on one thing there. Go ahead. Okay, I just want to ask one question. Who the, I understand absolutely who's buying two years. I'm trying to figure out who's buying ten. Years. Who's buying ten years? That that's so, a, okay. So that, that that's what I want you to answer. Now on my next question because I, I, I they don't find, right. Go ahead. Here's a good way to not get that one right is to try to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> just I, honestly, I just remember being. I, so I remember I was. I don't know what got me promoted. I'm in New York today, but I'm going back to Miami now. But what got me promoted out of the trading bits in the '90s was. Guys in the New York desks, when I was all bullish treasuries during that massive rally, you probably remember from the late 80s up to <clears throat> into the recession in the early 90s, was um, they kept asking me the same thing. Who's buying? Them? Who's buying? Them? Like, it's not who's buying them. It's that big of a market. It's the yields are that attractive on a global basis. They will drop. So that's what's happening. Now, I want to get on to the next subject, and that is volatility. Again, you remind me of being on the phones and hearing the guys in New York desk complaining about things like volatility. I remember one quote from one of the smartest people I knew in the business at the time time was Mike. Volatility is always mean reverting. And that's the number one thing to remember in volatility. When you mentioned 15 VIX, Dave, you don't want to be short the VIX of 15. You want to short it around 30 or 40. And that's a scary thing. So I'll, I'll get back some of the best signals I ever had in this business. That was 2006. The VIX dropped to the lowest level ever. That's right about the time that um, the housing market peaked. And just like Michael Burry, I started shorting everything way too early. And then with pop from I'm just looking like a 50-week, 100-week moving average. That was the lowest ever then. And guess what's the newest low ever? It was 2018, right at the beginning. And that's when I started pointing out volatility. It still hasn't had a decent, maybe a little spike, but nowhere near that 40 on the 50- or 100-week moving average. So volatility to me is still very low compared to where we're going in a recession. And it's a key thing to remember is 
volatility is always minimum reverting. It's just too low. You don't want to short it here. But I want to tilt back a little bit to, um, to me, the biggest trade I mentioned right now is that consensus. It's a consensus everywhere that we mentioned the worst is over. So I look at it as Dave mentioned, even if you agree or disagree with it, what you're making investment decision, pushing that button to get overweight long a risk asset or underweight a risk asset. You can also, what I used to do is hook up a strategy that would protect you. And I just look at this as a point, this is a big trade that, all right, I look at it like the whole world says we're tilting the boat this way, that it's all good. We're not going to have a major recession despite all these signs that we might. And the market's priced for that. So what's the risk? Risks, I think that's what cryptos are telling us. The risk is we go back to the trend that was really got started last year. And by say started, the Fed is still tightening. Yeah, it sounds like you just get long VIX right now as a hedge. Well, that's, that's the thing remember about the long VIX is the decay trade. I mean, it's going to crush yeah. you and decay. Yeah. So typically... The time it will. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and I remember as trading options, you would be... I was always very... When I was running someone else's money, my firm's money, I didn't want to be a person to blow up the firm. I had to always be careful being short options. So I was net long. means I had to trade a lot. But I did okay. Um, and you always hear about the one or two people who are short options make a killing for 10 years and they'd blow up the firm. So the different other ways the headsetters, you have the Ks, is also at the point last year, treasuries didn't work, which is usually the thing to do when you go into recession, you buy bonds. But this year, it's starting to go that way. So maybe that trade's coming back. And I like to point out is once we get that Fed ease, which I think is just a matter of time, the markets will make it happen, then your anti, um, your risk off trades like gold and bonds should kick in. Yes, I've been way too early. But the thing is, we're pointing out now is, Bitcoin, number one, least risky crypto is still pointing to risk off. Yeah. And that's what I'm looking at as a signal. I'm kind of concerned about it. Right. But Dave, so that going back to, uh, I guess, my original comment, that was my question, I guess, is who's buying the long term, especially with the lesson that we've just seen with the regional banks. So, so I understand, I guess, the answer to the $1.5 trillion quote unquote problem. If the rates are better on short term yielding treasuries than they are in the reverse repo market, the money is just going to move there, right? So I guess that we know the buyers are going to be money market funds and such, but isn't this going to suck massive liquidity out, Mike? I mean, couldn't this be the catalyst for that stock market crash that you're talking about? But I'll let Dave go first. Go go ahead, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm going to say something that I think a lot of your viewers will agree with, but is extremely controversial. Uh, I believe the U.S. Treasury market across the whole curve is, is, despite being one of the largest in the world, ever since QE started uh, last decade, and I go back to the Ben Burton famous uh, uh, YouTube video with the cartoons from my friend with, you know, you know, the Ben Bernank one. Ever since then, I think it's the most manipulated market on the planet. Uh, I think there's too much. Ex- it, it's, it's sort of like it, it, the very basic sentence. If there is an ability to do something that is necessary by powerful people, will they, and there's no check and balance stopping them, will they do it? And the answer is absolutely yes, they will do it. And the government absolutely needs to have the long end low, and they've absolutely needed to raise the short end to show that, that quite frankly, Powell doesn't want to be the one to allow things to spiral out of control. He probably i mean look his words and his look i've been predicting what he was going to say almost to the dot as you know and everyone who watches this show knows for for months now the bottom line is he like me believes that inflation a large part of it on the consumer inflation side is driven by inflationary expectations and so he wants to crush people's expectations at the same time he can't allow the long end to go up and have positive real interest rates based on on inflation, because if they did, the federal government literally would have no discretionary spending. This argument in the debt ceiling would be comical. 
because an extra, you know, a 50% increase in the long rate uh, would be enough so that the that debt service would eclipse defense and the discretionary spending they're talking about. He can't afford that. And so it's a big deal. I, as a result of that, when you're a trader, you know, the old, you always learn don't fight the Fed, but you also learn, you know, don't fight the house. And the house right now is still in control. And that's fine. Uh, you know, people have been talking about, and I quote, the bond vigilantes since the 70s. Forget the 80s. You know, oh, the bond vigilantes will rein in what the government's doing. Well, they have been completely inept or, or lame to be able to do a damn thing for 20 some odd years. And there's reasons for that. They're structural. So I kind of look at this as, as it's just as accept it. It's a manipulated market. The government is going to keep the long end down. The short end is where the government is also pushing it up, but they need to. But Mike said something else that's really important. As bad as our market is, as much as I say, if you compare it to others, explain. I mean, just look at, at global bonds. Just look at, whoops, look at the global bond. Uh, there's, there's that music in your sky, crank, cranking it out. <laughs> look at the look at the global bond markets, and and you start looking and you start comparing. Uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, ten year is three point seven. Germany is two point three. Japan yeah, is high yield, less than half a percent, and that's fine. Now it's not go down in environment. <laughs> I mean, you got to you got to be short that you got you're losing a lot of carry short the dollar in this environment. Good luck. That's right. I mean, you know, it's it's like you, you have to get to Italy and, and the UK to get there you go. 10 year bond yields in us and both have big issues. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, it's like Spain has a smaller 10 year bond yield than us. You well, know, and Mario Speedwagon, that's what I really want to know. That was roll with the changes. <laughs> Mario Speedwagon. It is, a, it is one of my ringtones. <laughs> Okay, just make sure. Go ahead. But finally, what you, what you say, said, Dev, is really important. I think it's profound, too, because, okay, if it's the vested interest of some major authorities to get the long bond yields down, and there's fundamental inklings going that way. I like to point out that Bloomberg Commodity Index down almost 30% on one-year basis. only happened twice in history, 1981, big recession. I remember it. And uh, in 2009, we all remember that big recession. And it's, there's no sign of a bottom. I mean, they're usually it's like, okay, China's coming out and the Fed's eased and we have 300 basis points in the U.S. economy coming out. We haven't even started this recession that is, to me, inevitable. And it's just starting to show up in things like self-employed workers and housing. Yeah. And, and so, to me, when you have that, that to me is that's a big trade. And especially when you have people like me who got stopped out because being early. And that's one thing I remember being with clients. When, you know, when you're on the phones, and I remember one client when I first started in business, a big bond trader, and he... He was trying to call the bond rally, um, started in 88. It was all wrong. And it kicked in in 89 and he got stopped down. He was all oh, mad. He used to yell at us on the phones and hang up on us. It was our fault, of course, you know, because I was the guy executing. And then he called the, the year later. Um, but it was just early. And to me, that's what's happened. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like even, I haven't talked about it in a few weeks, but the other one that we watch, I mean, you know, everything is pointing to what you're saying in the real economy, right? Even my favorite, the Baltic Tri Index is now getting very close to the levels upon which uh, officials panic, uh, and you can go back and look at it. It's you know it's it, it had its pretty sear you know it's it's blow off top uh, in September of twenty one as just as COVID was opening up, and then it came off a little, and then it 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 went back and uh, again it is less than one third of where it was in May of twenty two, and so now. Not nine nineteen now, and it was I believe in October twenty one. It was fifty six ninety three. Yeah, so it, it's like you know, it, it, 
it, it's very sensitive to shipments and globalization. So it's not only a pure economic indicator, but look, the real economy is there's a lot of, a lot of cracks showing up and, and we haven't talked about it today. So I'll mention the other main is like, there was even a story about the tier one banks. I mean, the SIFI banks getting, having more capital requirements being posted on them because people understand the real issues there. Uh, but oh my God, what's going on with bank lending at the regional banking yeah. level where we know that there's a multi-hundred million hole in the balance sheets of many of them that we haven't even talked about. I mean, yeah, sure, the U.S. Treasury hole is a big hole, but a bigger, more important hole because there's no obvious backstop to it is commercial real estate. And it seems getting pretty obvious you know, I was talking to a real estate expert over the weekend and he was saying that in New York, the only way out is to be able, because there, there's a tightness in the residential real estate market, mostly for structural reasons, yeah. like rent control, et cetera. But, you know, we won't go there. Uh, but there is tightness in that market. Uh, and uh, the commercial real estate market is an absolute disaster. They don't want to call it a disaster as they're trying whatever, but leases are going to start to come off. And, and, you find a company who has full offices five days a week. There aren't any. Even the ones that are bringing people back to the office are letting it be, you know, only a few, three days a week. And three days a week, you could stagger it. And you're going to renew office space, which is, there are so many companies I was talking to, and my brother works for a large insurance company. And he's saying that, yeah, you know, their leases are going to come up. It's their biggest cost is rent and commercial real estate and you know they, they need 40 percent less of it and, and and that's a company that's actually bringing people back to the office so it, it's it's a big deal and what does that mean and mike has talked about this a lot but people need to understand if you don't have bank lending then it's not the big companies that suffer the ones that we're investing in it's not not amazon it's 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 you know joe's uh you know steakhouse who has three yeah sharing as, as three alternatives it's small businesses which by the way in the real economy is the engine of growth it is the engine of job creation we always keep talking about the big companies but the absolute reality is that's what you invest in but if you want to know what's going on in the mainstream economy it is the small company so if you combine a world where you don't have a wealth effect from the stock market and the 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 smaller companies are not creating job growth that's a prescription that, that the fed is going to be confronting uh, sooner rather than later. And Mike isn't the only person who thinks that if Powell does actually raise again and doesn't start cutting soon, uh, he's going to go down as the dumbest Fed chairman in history. A lot of people think that. I personally don't think he's dumb. I understand what he's doing, but I think that that I can easily see why people would have that opinion. I just happen to think that he's going to get religion and, and he's going to let Biden declare victory on inflation going into the investment cycle. And, you know, whatever they're going to do, whatever it takes to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, we keep talking about this pivot and easing, Mike, and I know you're going to get into that. And, yeah. and Dave did touch on one interesting point earlier. I mean, with this debt service surpassing military spending, I believe I read it. I was looking for the exact quote, but about a third of that third, a third of the U.S. debt is maturing in the next 12 months and will be refinanced from 1.7 percent to what, 5 percent? I mean, does that at all shake your conviction that they might pivot and get rates much lower before they need to refinance that debt? Well, that's the conspiracy theorist, which I think Dave is great at digging into and knows more about it than I do. But I think it's less conspiracy, just the macro. I mean, what's the yield in Japan? And what's that been doing for you ever? ever? You mentioned that Germany. It's just the whole world is heading that way for 40 years. We've had a blip. We're heading back down. But there's key things sometimes that Dave and I have learned that's inherent in what we do. And that is 
absorbing, studying and listening and reading and studying headlines 24-7. And um, it's something I've been doing for decades. And when I just saw that headline this morning, big U.S. banks face 20% jump in capital requirements, it's like, I'm not going to bother to click through that story. I just like, okay, the macro is already bad. We're already seeing a, a major jump in, um, in money leaving banks and going to money markets and two-year notes. And it's classic uh, fractional reserve bank contraction. It just, you can't face it. It takes a while. And then I see that headline. Okay, well, let's just throw gasoline in that fire. So I just don't, it, it's, it's one of those things that also you have to also remember in this business is very important to focus on the force of what you're looking at and ignore those little trees that'll knock you off your view. And that's what I see. The stock market's a pretty good tree lately, but it is actually, I think, aggravating my macro view that this is the biggest reset of a lifetime by keeping that Fed emboldened, by keeping that those rate hikes still hanging on over our head, as so many other things are collapsing. And the people focus on the lagging things like unemployment. That's so not important. Let's look at the producer price index. The fact since 1948, it's never dropped as fast as it is now. And then I say that as a fact, should scare me. <laughs> it should scare everyone. Um, and what it's being done to help alleviate that. Nothing. It's still going that. And the fact that we're having bank deposits on a year-over-year basis drop at the biggest, uh, the, the highest rate in our database since the 50s. And what's, what's out to stop that other than maybe just a pinprick every time one or two banks fall? Nothing. The macro's still bad. That's why I look at the big picture. You have to think at least 12 months forward. And um, that's where I, I'm still concerned that you see the Fed funds rate 12 months is still around 5%. And that's still restrictive. Because if, I mean, if I'm going to get 5% and guaranteed 10% in two years, why would I invest in any risk asset? Particularly if you start roping over it, cryptos have been doing. But how will the United States make those debt payments if they have to re- refinance at 5%? Well, that's the thing. But that's the thing. I, I want to mention that. That's a, a tree in the forest. I, when you've heard it as many times, I'll send you what you know what I'll do. I have a picture of me on the cover of, I think, of the Albany Times in, in the 90s. And it, how bad the debt was and everything back then. It was around $4 trillion. And it's just, we, we just want to know if you had hair back then. Uh, I did. I did. <laughs> oh, yeah. I need this and, picture. And, but, and you just get so immune to it because... It obviously will be a big problem soon. It's a bridge to cross. Right now, we're more significant thing is that bridge is this big recession, the Fed's still tightening, and maybe it's going to aggravate. But remember, we're with the enormous privilege of the world's base currency, enormous privilege of not so much a privilege. We've earned the right. We protect the world. I mean, just imagine this little veil in Europe. You know, we had these tanks coming down for us. And just imagine the U.S. says, okay, yeah, we're kind of done. You guys are on your own. <laughs> It's the strength of what the U.S. can do and support its currency and its dollar and our treasury market so deep is just impeccable. So I'm I'm not worried about that. It's just be careful with those little nuances about yeah. that. I think you're a bit obsessive. Well, no, I mean, I think that it's it's important to understand you're trying to read tea leaves here. And yeah, well, I think the economy is so much worse. So once again, yeah conversation over the weekend uh this is you know my brother adam made the point that insure every insurance company he knows every financial analyst he knows are rapidly and have been rapidly uh putting people into banking situations where they're spreading out the 250 250 250 the the fact of the matter is he phrased it simply he said yeah you know there's trillions in in protect in 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 bank deposits at risk and the FDIC's account 
which assumed that every individual would just put their stuff in one place, uh, isn't ready for this. A banking contagion right now would be so much, the FDIC would be gone in a blink. I mean, an app, it, it, it's, it's, it, it is such a thin line. I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it. If you ever play the game Risk, I mean, the FDIC is trying to hold on to this huge thing with like one thing in each country. And, you know, there's stuff masked at the borders. I think that it and, and the government knows this. I mean, the Fed understands this. That's why the BTFP was the bazooka. They basically said, listen, 100 percent of all this impaired collateral will give you money against. Don't be horribly surprised to see something similar on everything else because they can't afford. Uh, they can't afford. You hear, heard what Mike said. The bank deposit outrush is there. They can't afford to see the dominoes starting to fall in the whole banking system. And so I, I personally think that things are, I agree with Mike. I think things may even be worse than he's saying. Not that not that I want to take over the title of McLoom. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I tend to think the markets are trying to anticipate in front run what's going to happen, which is that companies that depend on the real economy are going to be in deep dog doo-doo and companies that are speculative might actually do better when the Fed absolutely has to act to staunch the bleeding. Because we know one thing is certain, you're not going to get Congress or the president to be able to do a damn thing in this country, you know, to start stanching the bleeding. I mean, you know, they could barely, you know, it took the 11th hour to agree on a compromise that was, I hate to use the words, but freaking obvious. Right. You know, it, it was it was, it was what they what they needed to do. And now we'll we'll talk about a lot of other stuff. But the truth of the matter is there's some serious problems. I the difference between Mike and I is purely on whether or not the market will will wait till the depth of recession to bottom or will it bottom when they see that 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 they're going to try to pour uh, liquidity in to try to fix it. Uh, I think the, I think that they won't wait to the bottom. I think they'll try to front run it. That's the only difference between, but that's, that's semantics for everybody who's listening, right? Like that's another, the tree through the forest to, to, to your credit, right? If the conclusion is going to be the same, who cares about the timing that I think it's my, if we're all, if we're, if we're all here with a low time preference and for all of your viewers, here's for all of your viewers, what this means, don't use leverage <laughs> well i i like that i have to expand on that a little bit because when I, I grew up i was born and raised in leverage in futures i mean i grew up 30 miles south in chicago border trade starting that business and everything's about leverage and we used to say oh he's trading without stops it's just a lesson you learn when you're using typically it's 21 leverage in futures you got to have stops and then of course there's options you can get 101 leverage and long-term capital management was getting 101 that's one thing you Leave I talked on a little bit or I mentioned a little bit earlier. It's, Treasury is the most leveraged market on the planet. Just, you can you can get that financing for just about free. But to me, this is all part of the macro. We would ask ourselves: Can we not expect a reciprocal response to the biggest liquidity pump in history that's still being that's dumping at the greatest pace in history? And we've never raised rates this fast on a global basis. Can we? It's just logical. Yet the market's already priced that, yeah, it's okay. But that's human nature. And we you, you pile on. Like, this analyst is bullish and that analyst is bullish. And I love hearing these strategies when people say, yeah, but so-and-so said this. And I say, well, what's their vested interest? Are they have a vested interest in being right and selling you that crypto or selling you that stock market going up or the crude oil going up and being right? Or is it, you know, is it follow what they're supposed to They're paid to say these things. You hear these major strategies from major banks coming out with these bullish economic things. I'm like, that's the difference with me. I'm paid to be right in the long term. 
and, yeah. and get readers. I think it's it's very important to understand. I mean, when you look at the stock market today, the vast majority of the stock market are in companies that are, are it's basically very much tilted to the, lar- the large side. Now, yeah, last week we had- NVIDIA is number four in the Nasdaq. I mean- that, that should terrify everybody because when that comes crashing down, watch out below, but go ahead, Jeff. That's right. No, I mean, that's kind of the point. Look, at, at the end of the day, I am not bullish. I'm not even remotely close I th- on on the stock market, but I do think the carnage is going to be more on in 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 Main Street than it is on Wall Street. I, th- that is literally what it, what what I'm trying to say. And I think that the government has had a history of reacting to Wall Street as a harbinger of Main Street. But I think that sadly, decades of delinking. I mean, it, it's it's a lot like like someone who's on drugs. Right. You know, someone who's on drugs can't just off uh, taking drugs or they go through withdrawal. I mean, U.S. economy was addicted and is addicted to debt and was addicted to liquidity. They turned off the pumps and all of a sudden we start seeing massive cracks. And so what they do, they had to put back on certain liquidity patches. I mean, the BTFP is the moral equivalent of methadone for, you know, for the economy. Uh, and but there, it's not just the only one drug. I mean, I, I really think that. There are a lot of people who are sitting in the halls of power who say, you know, we had a 30 year period of rampant asset inflation and zero consumer inflation because those assets replaced capital, replaced labor with capital, allowed for globalization, et cetera. And that was actually pretty good. And between the pandemic and our policy response, we we mucked that up. And so they want to try to unmuck that up now. It, can you can they go home again can they make that happen uh, i kind of doubt it but i do think they'll try that's the difference mike uh i'll let you transition on that one <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way and this is totally like a sidebar but mike did you see the the uh article i think it was yesterday yeah yesterday in bloomberg the uh i actually let me pull it up i have it a 1.5 trillion backstop for home buyers props up banks instead. Did you see this? I did not see that one. I okay, we'll talk about another day. This is yeah. basically saying that the federal home loan bank program that's meant to obviously to uh, help people get mortgages has been the fundamental backstop for uh, the regional banks. And that's why they're still uh, surviving. But I guess it's uh, worth discussing on another day. And, and by the way, that's why Silvergate went kaput because yeah. they, 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 they were pulled out of that. <laughs> the... Uh, yeah, but the, the the article was saying that the bonus, I think, for Teresa Bazemore, here it is, uh, right. the head of FHLB in San Francisco was $2.4 million last year. There's a chart that yeah. says that Jerome Powell made $203,000 last year, and these people who are, I think are federal employees are getting like $2.2 yeah. $2 million bonuses because of success. But let's talk about the Fed and Jerome Powell because that's the obvious pivot here. They're going to keep raising, people think, Mike. I mean, you think, uh, I think, pause June, raise July. I mean... Uh, <laughs> This is one thing I've really enjoyed, um, how economists and people predict the Fed. I used to do my job at primary dealers, as Dave knows, is the purpose, primary purpose of a primary dealer is to figure out the Fed and make money doing it. Now, that hasn't, why do, there was, used to be 40 of them, now there's like 18 left, because we have markets do that for us. Now, we have the, on the Bloomberg term, I have this WIP function, it doesn't matter what I think, this is what the market thinks, the Fed is going to, and by July, there's a 55% chance they're going to raise rates another 25 base points. It doesn't matter the exact percentage. The point is they're still tilting towards raising rates. Why? Because they're following inflation data 
um, that's very sticky. Personal consumption expenditures, employment cost index indices, all driven by homeowners equipment, rent, and things like that. That my economist Anna Wong says her models are saying they're supposed to start tilting towards cutting, but they can't because they're still following these these um, lagging inflation metrics, which is the key thing that's part of the lose lose from McGloom. It's very rare you'd ever see this, but they cannot ease with the ease they have until markets make them, or we have this long delay, which would be wonderful. And that's where I think. Cryptos are starting to trick the trickle down are saying, okay, guys, there's a problem. Come on, collapsing commodities, they're pointing out clear deflation, but the Fed has to ignore that until their data shows we're okay. And I think they're going to flip on a switch, but that's why it's still not happening. We're still not seeing that give from the stock market. That's the number one thing that I see right now. We're priced for this 50 point, 50%, 55% hike by the time we get to 25 base points, time we get to the July 26th meeting. And I want to point out on July 13th, we're going to get the producer price index, which is probably going to show negative year over year. And the, just the fact that the Fed's still tightening with them dro- that number dropping the fastest ever. Now, it's a high bait and measure inflation. Um, is To me, sound, sound, it's classic, like we, we mentioned, I think Mr. Powell's going to go down in history as person who helped aggravate this great potential depression. And only because of he just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and just didn't catch the inflation early on and didn't start cutting. But now there's that consensus that he has to keep tightening the market's price for it. Yet um, there's a lot of reasons that he, and he's stuck. There's nothing he can do. It, that's the, that's the lose lose. He can't really cut now because if he's wrong, he loses. And in this case, if he's right, we get, I think we're going to get a collapse in inflation. It's, but that's already started. See, I, I, I look at it slightly differently. I think that, I mean, I, I would happily bet you, uh, we'll figure out, you know, a steak dinner, or whatever, that there will be no more rate rises this cycle. I think that Powell will take the June pause and extend it and keep extending it and whatever, because they know what we, what, what we, you and I suspect, which is they understand the fissures in the banking system. And I don't think they could have realistically halted or paused rate cuts at any meeting before now without having to admit that to the wider audience or the wider world and that would engender panic and that and they're trying to say everything is cool so i think saying we're watchful and we're waiting and if they get a ppi print they'll point to that as their reason they'll use it as their justification because i i look at the end of the day i thought they would raise rates and try to jawbone and talk about it last time right? we all talked about it but the fact is, is I think had they not, it would have been seen as panic. And the last thing they, they can afford is to act like it, like it, act in panic. But once they pause in June, which I think most people believe they will, I think staying on a wait and see attitude through the summer until they start seeing those turndowns is possible. And if the PPI is negative, they're going to absolutely use that as their justification. So it's just optics. It's just optics. Like it's just optics. You just I, wait and be like, so we're not embarrassed and we don't look stupid. We just keep uh, destroying the exactly. <laughs> That's how important human nature is here. Let's think yeah. of what, what the fact is, what Dave just said is a fact that by not hiking, they're considering that they're panicking. I'm sorry, I'm kind of lost. I usually thought that meant by if you hike, if you cut a lot, that's panicking. So see where we've switched here? See where the human nature is lose-lose? That's why McGloom comes out and shines. I mean, I, I can just buff the head a little. The it's, it's it's just the fact that we said these things that we all think it okay wait if they didn't hike it's panic yet um commodities are collapsing inflation's collapsing and all these signs are saying that this is a historic event 
is just that's where it's a lose lose. Yeah. No. I mean, the, look, there's there's little doubt that that the that the the hangover of many things is contributing to a contraction on a pretty epic scale in the mainstream economy. And it's and a it's not just a collapse. It's a a shift, a turning, if you will, to use certain people's, uh, you know, whatever to, you know, to new things. I mean, model business models are changing. I mean, the entire notion of large companies with integrated workforces all filing into the same buildings watch a movie from the 50s or the 60s sometime that, that's gone the corporate mailroom gone literally gone you're seeing you're going to see pods and people and 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 a spreading effect of all companies across the country uh, uh doing things differently than they've done in the past but at the same time as that wants to happen the ability to invest or the ability to, to raise capital to do that for smaller businesses is getting harder and harder and harder. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot going on here. And I think that, you know, we're, we're paid to sniff out meta trends. I, I will often tell people that my timing is often wrong. So, you know, on my personal stuff, I, but look, I called the global financial crisis, but I called it a year and a half to two years early. Uh, I'm calling for a, a, a very different investment thesis going out, but I fully understand that we could see a, a disastrous fall. I mean, it, it's not, it, it, it's not, a, people think that, well, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's just a coincidence that all the crashes we've ever had in the market start are either in the August through October period. And it, it, it's not like, you know, it's not a coincidence. It's no more of a coincidence than hurricane season is roughly in the same time period it has to do with a lot of things uh and the fact is that's always the rockiest period to navigate in the markets and do we have uh is there a crash in the in the fall um when too many people are predicting it my problem is too many people seem to be predicting it yeah and, and when that happens I, I tend to go the other way i don't even know what is contrarian today right because there seems to be this barbell of people who are saying well, you know, corporate America is fine. It's the government that's screwed. Uh, so let's party on. And then there are others like, like, like you, and there are many people like you saying, yeah, well, you know, look at this and look at that. And we're, we're due for a major recession and we're, and our stock prices are massively overvalued and Nvidia being the poster child for that. Nvidia reminds me very much like Cisco in 2000. Oh yeah. Well, I think what you mentioned also, part of that too, is what you mentioned about, um, so many people are predicting it. I remember seeing this a lot in markets because I used to put on the positions for customers. There's been so many people, like I can't trade anymore, but I know if I was trading, I'd been short equities and putting on derivative positions, that would have been losing money because I just need to, I did this, started doing the same thing in 2007 and it just got all paid back and then some in 2008. But that's the story, the big short. You can feel it because you just see it coming, you know it's going to come, but oftentimes it's that short base that keeps markets going keep some bid everything and that's classic case what happened to video and it's clearly some shorts getting screwed there <laughs> you can see what happened there it's, it's sad but that's just the way markets work um and i think that's the case right now it's, it's the big short markets people are protecting themselves we all know that you should be investing you know probably going towards two notes and the stock market you probably maybe underweight equities and one way to do that was shorts i talk to money managers doing that and they're not getting they're they're losing money so at some point you stop all those out. It used to happen for me. You let those puts expire above above the strike, and then you go down. <laughs> That's just yep. 
Can no, I, I think that there's, there's a lot. I mean, there's been a, a recent spike. It's nowhere near historically, you know, massive or anything, but a recent spike in put buying as well, because this happens and, you know, then people lose their money. The strikes go off. They, you know, they, they lose it. I mean, we all know that, that, that people who use options to make leverage bets uh, on Delta, uh, it's a very expensive way to do it uh, compared to other ways, you know, like perpetual swaps, et cetera. And those those strikes are what they are. That's why I think that there might even be another short term leg down in volatility. It may continue to compress, but when the dam breaks, that's why we, and which is how we started. Uh, you can see all sorts of interesting occurrences. And generally, just to be clear, because Scott said this before, but I want to be clear: if you expect a massive uh, spike in volatility, you're expecting a crash because there is a high correlation. It's not always true. But it's a high correlation between spikes and volatility being uh, disasters as opposed to rallies. Rallies tend to be climbing a wall of worry, grind higher, grind higher, and, and push volatility down. Crashes are crashes, right? Now, it's not always true. And in Bitcoin, it's a little bit different because Bitcoin itself is an option, really. And we talked about that before many times uh, on its own adoption. You know, big people buy Bitcoin because they see a 20 to 1 or more potential in it. So why you would use leverage to trade that is completely beyond me. But, you know, be that as it may, the fact is, is the market uh, looks like there's a possibility there. I will just continue to caution people that be careful what you're shorting, because it may very well be. You could see a world where the where non-listed small private companies or, or micro caps are the ones that get absolutely annihilated and mega caps do well. Uh, because of I mean, there's like five companies holding up the entire market, right? <laughs> well, no, it's actually the breath. Last week, the breath was really good on the positive side. I mean, you know, you you should have Mike Alfred come on one of these uh, conversations so he could present the the counterpoint to Mike because he he looks at this stuff and 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 is much more bullish on certain groups of companies. But I don't think he would disagree with the mainstream economy. I I don't know. You should ask him. Well, picking it back a little bit, um, I, we mentioned NVIDIA. I put out a piece this morning. I had to overlay the chart of Bitcoin with NVIDIA, and they just like copper in the stock market. They're very close. And all of a sudden, Bitcoin starts going down, and NVIDIA is breaking out. And I just, so I like to, I compared the market cap. So we all remember when uh, two years ago, Bitcoin peaked just above $1 trillion. I think it's 1.3 max, and we're having that really battle with NVIDIA now. So I compared the market cap right now. NVIDIA is about, um, it's 50% or so of the market cap of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Bitcoin, 50% of the market cap of NVIDIA. Yeah. Total and that's crypto low. is 1.1 now. Total there you crypto go. is 1.1. Yeah. Most since 2017. And so this is the fastest horse in the race. It's a lot of it's, well, we know, massive amount of speculation in some areas less, like Bitcoin. And it's been trading lower, a lot lower in the last month as we see the Fed tightening more and economy doing better, right? Isn't it according to the stock market? To me, that's a classic divergence sign. You'll look back from the future and say, yeah, that was a bell ringing. And, and, and what is ringing that bell? It's really simple. The hype on AI and the fact that people think NVIDIA is a, a proxy for investing in AI, which is literally insane. Uh, but it doesn't matter because that's what it is. Uh, I, I, let, let, let's put a time capsule two years from now. People who are long Bitcoin, short NVIDIA, uh, Bitcoin's market cap will be higher than NVIDIA's in two years. To me, that is a great pairs trade. Uh, but it's a pairs trade that you could have, you know, the market. Not with leverage. 
<laughs> leverage the market to remain irrational longer than you. Dave, do you remember fuel? Do you remember fuel cell stocks? Yeah, remember that big bump pump in fuel cell stocks? Was it twenty years ago? I mean, it's look. We've seen it. It, it doesn't matter. It's like yeah. things happen. People get excited and they want to invest. And then where does that investment go? It goes into what they think. Oh, my buddy told me that Nvidia is going to be there, and and stocks become stories and not discounted future cash flows, right? You know, and, and it happens all the time. It's particularly prone to technology. It's particularly funny because technology, as a general rule, has lower barriers to entry than almost anything else. I mean, brand has a much bigger bar barrier to entry. Apple, yeah, it's their technology is good, sure, but it's the brand and the ecosystem that matters. If someone came out with a faster chip than Nvidia, it, how how you know what happens? I mean, you know, it, it's 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 important to understand. I mean, Intel's had the same thing, but you know, but it's not an if. Is is fairly clear. But the fact is, is Nvidia are GPUs really what's going to be used for AI, or is it going to be is AI going to do the same damn thing that Bitcoin mining? Go either way, everything, everything. Either way, if AI is going to be that big, everybody's going to catch up, and Nvidia is going to get a ton of competition. And I, I literally posted it. I don't know if I have it. I, we got to go, but I, I'm going to show it now because it's funny. Because hearing the Nvidia, Nvidia, um, I can't find it. I have a chart though. But if you look at Nvidia and Bitcoin, they literally peak when Bitcoin peaked to sixty nine thousand was Nvidia's all time high. And they both go down exactly in lockstep as Bitcoin goes down. And if you believe that we're going to see an AI hype bubble, now it's jumping over to a correlation with AI and we'll probably do the exact same thing. It's just like people weren't here two years ago or something when we were having the same conversation about the same company, but with all the Bitcoins going to a million dollar hype. Right, exactly. Yeah, and that's out, guys. We're at 10 a.m. Thank you guys so much uh, for joining everybody for listening. Mike, you, uh, you know, every day like obviously we do this you know like i never stop it's a very important reminder for me when i show up on uh monday to take a deep breath and see the uh forest and and not focus on the trees because i will say that i went down a deep rabbit hole this weekend focusing on the trees and you you straightened me out very quickly so <laughs> uh, if i can live up to that and let's see if the market war goes away uh, e either way or not, it's good to just remember that sort of lesson that it's not the first time we've been having these conversations and that uh, the world's still here. Well, yeah. I, I, one little thing. I just remember I was my first year working in the trading pits. And I remember my boss was this guy who had been traded forever and he I was bullish treasuries. And I, I was a 25-year-old nothing. I didn't know anything. And I remember he showed me like 18 charts why he was bearish. And then I looked away and I said, okay, and I just listened. I walked away and I turned out being right on that one. And I remember that was a good lesson to me that he was focused on too many of the trees. Yeah, I think, I think it's perfect. Well, you guys, uh, you guys uh, maybe took a deep breath today, which I think uh, sometimes is essential. No matter how many times you tell yourself to look at the big picture, it's hard not to get uh, sometimes, I think, caught up in the noise. So everybody, obviously, Twitter spaces in 15 minutes uh, as we do. Mike, Dave, if either of you are around, you're welcome to join, by the way. It should be interesting. Probably largely a uh, continuation of this conversation, I would think, to, to a large degree. Uh, otherwise, everybody, I will be back tomorrow morning, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Mike, Dave, uh, every week, man. I, I just appreciate it so much. So much, so much uh, good information, I think, in a world of just horrible takes. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Scott. Yes. Thank you. Let's go.